Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Smashbox TV's podcast 415. Terry Miller, the disc golf guy, not alongside Johnny V tonight. No, not physically, but my you're, own here, you're here in my heart, Terry. You're here in my heart. I'll take it. Well, yeah, I mean, I you, am. Well, <laughs> you are 45 years old now. 44. <laughs> you just had a birthday. 44. 44. You're 40, 44 yes. years old. Happy birthday, Terry. We went out for dinner this uh, couple days ago and to celebrate with some family and friends. And it was a it was a good Smashbox time. Yeah. And uh, I can't thank everyone enough for the copious amounts of messages and kind words that came through on many different social media platforms. I am, I very much was feeling the love and I appreciate each and every one of you for sending me something. <laughs> the, the, the one um, clarification I'll make is Jennifer Allen very graciously said, happy birthday, put up a picture that included a handful of FPO players because I was in fact here at, the Ledgestone a few years ago on my birthday, filming them on my birthday. And then we had a picture afterwards. It was great. I appreciate it. But she posted it on the 5th, and then that kind of like recycled everything, and my birthday's on the 4th. Mm-hmm. So then there was a whole flood of them, and I appreciate it. Even if it's late, it doesn't matter. But to, just as a clarification, uh, when she posted it, that brought in a whole nother flood. So I, I genuinely appreciate everyone. Thank you so much. And not to derail the podcast right away. Mm-hmm. Today is a birthday of sorts, Terry. 35, it is. 35. Do you know what turned 35 today? Um, <clears throat> it's one of your, fa- one of your favorite 35. things. One of your favorite things turned 35 today. Wow. Um, <laughs> is it a, uh, is it have to do with food or beverage? Nope. Hmm. 
Oh, then it would have to be, well, 2000, uh, it would have to be, is it the anniversary of some sporting event? 2000, what, seven? Not quite, Terry. All right. Are you ready, Terry? No. Oh, my God. Not 2007. I'm an idiot. Hold on. Let me think of the, what what year was it? Well, it's 35. So figure you were nine years old. 87? 87. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to flash something up on the screen. Something. Something. Oh, I, I'm going to guess the Cubs. Oh, no. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, DJ Easy Rock and Rob Bass, perhaps? Was it, uh, was it an It Takes Two uh, today, release? Today, 35 years ago. <laughs> or no, wait. Maybe it's 34. I saw it. I think it's 35 is what I saw. I don't know. Either way, 34, 35 years ago. Today is the anniversary of the release of the album and the song It Takes wow. Two. So I, I'm just saying... It's it's been uh, DJ Easy Rock and Rob Bass. Yes, that's correct. One mega thing. One of right. yes. one of your favorites. I know that certainly is certainly is. Usually now it's gotten so old that when it's requested out at a, a bar or dance club or something like that, people are people really have no idea what it's from. So until it makes like some kind of official surge on TikTok. I, I don't know that it's I think that's maybe been in a commercial or two, but <laughs> I'm uh, sure it until has. it makes a, an official surge that way. I don't know if we're going to see it ever come back to uh, any official popularity, but nonetheless, good to good to that's, see in here. That's right. I did listen to it today. Just, you know, just just uh, for old times. That, that seems wildly appropriate. All right. <clears throat> well. Let's uh, I'm going to see if I can get logged in here. Um, Sorry, I'm just getting all caught up on the on the YouTube chats. Um, So real quick, this wasn't actually originally intended, but I will quickly say, um, well, for starters, there's a couple things here I'll unpack. For starters, I want to thank Natalie Ryan again for joining us last week. We certainly understand that some of you um, are are very, very uh, everyone has really strong opinions and Again, that's all fine. Um, some people handle conversing with those opinions and their stance and their research. Everybody has a different stance. I'm all good with that. Um, I appreciate, we appreciate, the world appreciates when you can come in with a level mind and a level head and have, I think, conversation. I will continue to say, which very much consumed a lot of my time last week, that uh, I still very much do believe we can argue about policy more so than the person, and we can do that about maybe even Nicola Castro. In I a said there will be well. some policy arguments um, tonight. So absolutely, um, but but that's what I wanted to say, and and with that, very specifically, I would like to say I got fired up at a particular group last week, who um, I may not agree with everything they do or say, or maybe the, the ways they go about some of the things, um, but. I I incorrectly associated them with something else nasty that was posted on one of the social media platforms. And so in doing so, by incorrectly associating them, uh, I was inaccurate. I take full blame for that. I'm totally good with, uh, first of all, I apologize. And I take all the blame for that. Um, Whether or not the person that said the nasty things was working singularly and is part of that group or not, you can understand where I got a little confused, but I attacked the group and or was frustrated with the group when really it was an individual that had posted something. So I wanted to I, I do want to be clear. I have no problem admitting faults. Uh, a lot of people don't think like we're so stubborn or pigheaded. I, I admit I'm wrong all the time. I've got no problems admitting when I'm wrong or when I need to apologize. So 
Um, I did want to just quickly get that in there. Uh, now that I think about it, um, you're, but you're I, used to but it with me. Main you're takeaway, used, you know, you're used yeah, to it with me. Yeah, I get it. I know. I'm, I'm so used to being wrong with you. <laughs> um, but uh, but I will double down just simply on the fact that I do think so much of the rules and policies and regulations and frustrations and and triumphs and tribulations, whatever you call it, everywhere you categorize all of the conversation is usually specifically around our transgender athletes. I still will stand steadfast that we we need to discuss policy. Excuse me. Policy is where we can get mad and frustrated more so and and entirely versus the actual person. And and it's so funny, too, because with that, a lot of people have assumed a ton of things about what both you and I think. And um, simply by having any guest, uh, whether it's Natalie or 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 someone that maybe vehemently opposes what you know, uh, the entire conversation about transgender athletes and disc golf, people just automatically assume what your and I position is. And I find that I find that also kind of funny. And I guess that's just part of the role playing a host. And it is what it is. But I, I very much am all about I'm about science. Um, uh, I was about science when we had a, a covid conversation. Um, and I'm all about science now, and I'm I'm also very much all about discussing the policy and how we all move forward together. So enough of all that, but I, I did want to make sure I got that out there. Um, and we'll talk about that in a moment uh, with what we saw with regard to Nico. And I see somebody asking something about Brody. Uh, we'll talk about that board. later, too. That's all. In, that all oh, it's okay. All that's something unrelated. Nico, okay. Well, I was going to say, I, I there was. Tangently related. <laughs> Tangently related. Okay. Well, there was there was a big party, and I'm going to bust them out now. There was a big old party at Culver's today. Saw a world champ. Saw a multiple-time winner at Kelvin Heimberg. Saw pickleball superstars, Madison Walker and uh, and uh, Zach Melton. Brody Smith was there. It was uh, it was quite a party. <clears throat> I will say this. And there ain't maybe many, by no surprise. There ain't many places to go in that city, Terry. <laughs> Well, they they were getting done. I had played elsewhere with Tom McManus, and we just happened to go there. And then one by one, you know, all those guys had filtered in. And uh, I, even though they just got done, I think doing a, a, a doubles matchup with Brody and Ezra. Out of all the people that were involved, somehow Ezra lost his way to Culver's. I he he's skipping Custard Day. I, that's a day you can't skip uh, if you're familiar with Culver's, um, but. No Ezra to be found, so he's sticking true to his roots. He keeps it way too healthy. I don't think they serve an appropriate beans. amount of healthy. <laughs> all right, so let's uh, let's jump into it all right, real quickly. I do want to say I did reach out to Alden Harris, who created and said it would not uh, necessarily work for him, and uh, he. I said, well, just win again, and it makes it a no brainer for us to have you. So congratulations to Alden. We'll break that that down in a moment. And then uh, I reached out to Sarah Holcomb, and her and I have played a little bit of phone tag. Yes, I have the right number. Um, But we've played a little bit of phone tag, and if she's around and wants to reach out and can still join me, she's obviously she's more than welcome to join us. Um, I know she's camping, so usually that adds in an extra hurdle or two internet-wise. So uh, that's what I wanted to let make sure everybody knew. Uh, in terms of our Mid-America. So, Johnny, why don't you lead us off with some Mid-America conversation? Uh, you paid more attention to it than I did. 
Just barely. <laughs> I hope. No, I, 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 I did the broadcast uh, switching for the Silver Series. I don't normally do that, but due to some uh, uh, issues earlier in the season, I had to switch some schedules around that I was excited at first to do the Mid-America Open until I got a little bit I'll drug on a little bit, but another thing we'll talk about later. Um, anyway, let's start with the FPO, the the division that didn't drag on. Uh, as you said, Sarah Hokum was our winner. Uh, four, I believe it was 14 years. She won her first FPO event at this course. Oh, maybe not at this course. At the Mid-America Open, we'll say. Uh, at this event, 14 years prior. And she comes out and wins this one here. Uh, by five strokes over Cat Merch, it wasn't uh, it wasn't extremely close. Not gonna lie, uh, it with about six or seven holes to go. Sarah Holcomb kind of strolled this one in. She was uh, you know no one no one seemed to be able to catch her. She had a couple of really good rounds. She shot you know the best round of the afternoon on the final. No, I'm sorry, second best behind Juliana Corver, who shot an even and Deanne Carey, I think so. Um, Sarah Holcomb, congratulations, winning this weekend over Cat Merch. Natalie Ryan, who we just talked about, tied for third with Jessica Weiss. In fifth place was Holland Hanley and Alex Benson. Remember, this is a Silver Series, so some of these names you don't normally hear us talk about in the top ten. Uh, seventh place, Juliana Corver, Stacey Haas, and Stephanie Vincent. So congratulations. And rounding out your top ten, Deanne Diesel Carey and Stacey Ronsley. So congratulations to our top 10 FPO finishers. Um, yeah, it, it wasn't that exciting. It only because Sarah Holcomb kind of wrapped it up. She, she played her, she played some good golf. Um, she was not, I believe she was tied for first after the first round with Alex Benson and Jessica Weiss. Um, no, I'm sorry. Stacey Ronsley had them by one, if I remember correctly. I looked at all this before the uh, broadcast started, so I had a general idea of what was going on. Um, second round, Sarah Hokum, you know, she shot a one down with Holland Hanley uh, and Juliana Corver. Stephanie Vincent and Stacey Haas both had negative two downs, but they were further down the board that they it was tougher for them to move up. Sarah Hokum just had three very consistent rounds, was able to kind of walk it in. Not much to say about the event uh- in the Silver Series. Yeah, and real quick, I'm just seeing, like, when it was, it looked like, what, a five-stroke advantage for uh, for Hokum over yes. Cat going into the third round. But then after now, the first three holes. Sarah Hokum did make it kind of interesting in the beginning because okay. she, she went, like, double, single, say, single. She gave four strokes. She yeah. did. She did give four strokes, which I believe only had her up by one or even tied. Mm-hmm. And then one. Mm-hmm. she just played very consistent, and got some birdies while while Cat Merch got bogeys, and then by the last three or by the last I'd say five holes, it was wrapped up again. Like it, it was, it was, uh, it was Sarah Holcomb's event to give up. She gave it up. She took it back, and she strolled in for the victory. All right. All yes. right. Well, Sarah had a rough, Sarah had a rough Sarah. start, but. Okay. Well, I was going to say, because she had a five-stroke lead that looked like it got down to one after three holes, but you, you said it was uh, walking it in. It didn't seem she did. that way. But she did walk it in. She well, walked eventually, in those last- <laughs> eventually, she must have. Yes. So, I mean, <laughs> anyway. the, the way she played, it was just very consistent through, those, through the middle. It was nothing flashy. It was nothing 
She had one a couple, you know, good shots, a couple of really good putts. But ultimately, Cat Merch just couldn't keep up with her. And they kind of just slowly drifted apart, like many of your relationships, Terry. Mm-hmm. That's what they do. It was just come sail away. <laughs> come sail come away. Sail uh, away. <laughs> so that was that was the come FPO division. Uh the MPO division. Okay. As you said, Alden Harris takes this one with a 26 under par uh, over Chris Clemens and Gannon Burr's 24 under. Uh, this one actually was exciting right up to the end. Uh, I mean, if you were if you stuck around to the end, it was exciting. Um, Anthony Barella with a 23 under. Anthony had a tough middle section of the course, just couldn't, unfortunately, couldn't keep it. You know, he Anthony Barella. I mean, he had a couple couple okay, straight couple stray shots, couple stray putts, but ultimately, you know, he was at 23 in fourth. Kyle Klein was uh, in fifth place, tied for sixth with Andrew Presnell and Kevin Kiefer. Uh, eighth place was Gossage and Gibson. And 10th place was Hebenheimer and Connor O'Reilly. Connor O'Reilly had a very difficult final round. He was on the lead card going into that final round, right in it with everybody else, ends up shooting an even par, um, and dropping nine places. Um, had he been able to just kind of keep up with everybody else on that card by shooting eights, sevens, eights, nines, he would have been right up there as a contender. Unfortunately, just it nothing was going his way. Um, a lot of mm. as that course can do to you, it's not an easy course. There are a lot of places to get in trouble, and he found a lot of them. <laughs> so uh, that okay. that was that was Connor's day. But ultimately, Alden Harris. Um, some very good, consistent shooting L- looked really good. And at the end gave like, you know, he had a, he had a bogey on 17, which kind of let Gannon and Chris Clemens back into it when it felt like he, at one point, I think in the control room, I said, okay, he's got four holes to go there. Most of them are birdie holes. All he has to do is get to like one under par and, and and he should he should be able to walk this one in. And ultimately, he, he I think he went like birdie birdie, and then he took a bogey, which I was like, oh, he's got to kind of get at least a par on that last hole now. Which he ended up birdieing it and winning by two. So that was that was Alden Harris. Gannon Burr made a really good run at it, but just uh, unfortunately couldn't get it. Chris Clemens was on the chase card, so there were some really cool shots of him waiting to see what happened. Uh, we actually watched him watching the Disc Golf Network on hole 18, which was kind of a really <laughs> cool, a really cool shot. And once mm-hmm. Alden Harris more or less pured the the drive on 18, it was over for Chris. Gannon could pro- possibly have still made a run at it um, with with a, a huge eagle, a throwing eagle, or a birdie and a par from Harris, he, but he couldn't do it. He just unfortunately Gannon. Gannon ended up getting the par as well. So Alden Harris walks this one in for his for his biggest victory of the season and his probably his career, the Silver Series event. You know, I'm congratulations, uh, of course, to Alden. And I'm I was just looking, saw that he was a hundred percent C one X in round three, a hundred percent C one X in round two, and ninety-eight percent C one X in round one. Uh, which is incredible. And then I think, and then I look at it and I look if he was fifth on the weekend um, with 97% C1X putts. 
I mean, that that tells me yeah. just every single person was just, you know, not every single, but tons of people were putting lights out. Sorry, he was 88%. That makes way more sense from round one. But he was uh, 88, 100, and 100. Mm-hmm. Wow. And that gets you fifth in putting yeah. for the weekend. Fifth. It's the last few events. It's really felt like you need to be putting from a hundred ninety-seven to a hundred percent if you want to, if you want to get that top five. Because with our with guys out there like like uh, Ellis and uh, Alden Harris and Gannon Burr, it's it's very very difficult to uh, to to miss some putts. It really is. Like these guys are all putting almost a hundred percent inside the circle. Udisk, I'll throw in the Udisk stats. You know, those are always a little bit squishy, but as we know, they're pretty accurate. Yeah, I mean, they're they're always there's always going to be a discrepancy. They'll never be perfect, and that's week in and week out. And because they just can't be, you know, you're going to occasionally have someone doing Udisk that is looking at Alden Harris from from 22 feet away, but just barely can't see if he's inside or outside the whisker or a painted line. And so they, they mit and they incorrectly mark it clearly without any kind of um, maliciousness. They mark it and, and it happened to be wrong and whatever. I mean, you're just, and that's no fault to the U-Diskers and the volunteers that are out there. It's just, they're not completely perfect. And, but you gotta, you gotta figure they're not completely perfect every weekend. So when it's all said and done, some weekends I think we go to some places and you have pretty generous scorekeepers, and some weekends they might be a little tighter. I mean, mm-hmm. it 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 all probably evens out. You know, it is what it is. <laughs> Carney says I did U disc once, never again. And so I'm not gonna lie, we get mad in the control room when the U disc scores are slow or I mean, not so much inaccurate as far as circles yeah. and, and and fairways and stuff, but they need to be fast when it comes to the shot that they're on. They need to be fast as far as scores. Everything else yeah. is and you know, a little washed, but a huge shout out. I know that UDISC has been more, uh, I'll say capable. And I think they've been doing this for quite some time. It used to be almost a luxury where we went from one UDISC per card now on some of your most covered cards, they have two U-Diskers. So they have someone at the throw and the catch. And that was kind of like almost a test case scenario, I, I want to say at Worlds last year. Yeah. And now it's become commonplace. So the person, you know, granted 350 feet away on a blind, you know, Anheuser is going to be far more accurate than the person that was guessing that's standing next to the players on the tee. And so not only did the U-Disc step up in terms of the capability, and the possibilities for the two people to be scoring it, excuse me, multiple people to be doing it at the same time. But then also the fact that we add a handful more volunteers every single event that are out there usually on a, in the catch position. It's 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 incredible. People that, you know, I know we kind of jokingly say or, or you know, offer the tickets on Disc Golf um, Network and we say, you know, go out and see it in person. Go on and see in person just for the behind the scenes. There's just so much more going on than probably you even realize when you're just watching it, or even when you're watching it in post uh, or live. There's just more going on that you don't even realize, uh, as opposed to being there in person. It's uh, it's pretty incredible. So, um, okay, so let let's quickly touch on and and I wrote this to you because I was doing stuff on Sunday as well. 
and um, I managed to go out and actually play casually. And when I did then look at scores, and I, I've always said this, I'm, I'm terrible. If, if I'm not involved in a media perspective in any way, shape, or form with an event, mm-hmm. I, I largely tune it out. And I had forgotten already that you were you were subbing in to do the show switching. And when I did look for some scores, and I think I literally just logged into Facebook, it had blown up. Like, just the massive amounts of conversation around time limits and, you know, whether it was a complaint or it was a frustration or a a suggestion or an amendment to the rule, whatever, that was the only thing that absolutely dominated the news cycle, like Sunday afternoon and Sunday evening. That was the talk of the Tell me since... Yeah, since I watched zero minutes and zero seconds, tell tell me what it was. I'll, I'll say what it was. What it was really like. Um, what, what was the major concern and issue? It was brutal. I'm not going to lie. It was. Um, you had a couple compounding things. You had Connor O'Reilly shooting poorly. He shot an even. He was. Mm. There was a lot of looking for discs, a lot of a lot of off the fairway shots, okay. um, and I, I believe the other one was Kevin Kiefer, uh, who who had a rough stretch in the middle as well, and it slowed a lot okay. of things down. But then on top of that, you had two players who are not known to be quick. Um, Alden Harris isn't necessarily the fastest player. He's he's not egregious. Sure. But he's he's particular, and then you had Gannon Burr, and you know, I think Gannon has all the talent in the world, but he's egregiously slow. Period. No no questions about it. Hands down. I'm sure he would admit to it. Everybody that's ever watched it, uh, him play will admit to it. He, he is a very slow player, and there were multiple shots where he took over a minute. Or, you know, you, you have, again, it was a combination of a lot of things. The end of the course, it was a lot of Gannon. The middle of the course, it was just kind of the struggle bus. The second card finished the event, and the the lead card still had, I believe, six holes to go. Five or six holes to go. And now, granted, they had a two-hole head start, mm-hmm. so... They they picked up four holes on that card in the eighteen hole stretch. Um, it was not there was there was never going to be a backup with us. We were never going to run into a backup. There was a backup on the second card at one point. I heard the cameraman say, "Hey, second card has a, has like a, a one a one card backup or something like that on one of the holes." But not our card. We <laughs> I say, I want to say we cruised right around, but we coasted right along is kind of the speed it felt like. Um, and a lot of it has to do with Gannon. I, I hate to I hate to pin it on one person because I truly believe it's not all of him for this particular instance. Of course not. Mm-hmm. But a lot of it was. I, I'd go sixty-five to seventy percent was Gannon Burr. Sure, uh, being very meticulous. So this is really nothing new. 
Um, and, and, and it's, and I don't just say that of Gannon, of course, this is clearly becoming a lot more of a conversation. Again, if we're going to go with the idea of policy or even over the person, um, the, the policy or the rule of having 30 seconds, I, I openly <laughs> complained just a few days ago about totally, well, related but unrelated, just to the range finding. And, and I'm all good with using range finders, mm-hmm. I, you know, that whole spiel. Just just do it before it's your turn to throw or do it within your 30 seconds um, are my solutions there. And they're very easy or don't use one. If if it's going to slow your routine down and you just simply can't get it in, then you go back to yesteryear and you just simply don't use one. Anyway, Gannon's clearly not the only one that's guilty of this. Uh, no. And at the European Open, and I think this large this went largely under noticed or reported was that, of course, Nico was was you know put on the clock and warned. So was Chandler. Chandler Kramer was warned, I, I believe, on hole seven as well. Yes. And so I know, you know, whether that or not, that quiets anyone of saying, well, they were targeting Nico. Nobody's, <laughs> you can only be so much of a target if you're just, if you're always the one doing something, right? Or, or however you look at that. So I don't think he would, I would never say that he's targeted. Um, but if you're the one that does it the most, it's kind of easiest to notice. And Gannon's been warned before uh, at last year's two Pro Tour championships. I think there's been once or twice this year. We've talked about it on our podcast with him. Uh, I talked about it with him on the Nick and Matt show. I mean, this this is this is a known thing. He knows of it. Mm-hmm. And earlier in the year, he said, "Yeah, I'm aware of it, and I'm 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 trying to get quicker. I thought I was getting quicker." He's and, and apparently, I think he's Drew not. had posted saying yeah. he got warned in in round two, right for for it. And then Drew had said, "Yeah, it felt like he really picked it up, and things were quicker at that point." But I don't know about really that regressed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think they, that's what Drew had posted on on Twitter is that he had received a warning during round number two, and um, and he said he goes, "Then he sped up. Everything was a lot quicker. It was great." And I then think obviously we we saw that in round three. Just, so just like Nico, I think Gannon truly doesn't probably realize the amount of time he's taking. Like when he's, when he gets up there, he has a routine and he doesn't, and he doesn't realize that that routine is so long. Like I I believe the same thing about Nico, when Nico stands up there and he, and he's pump faking and spinning the disc in his hand and pump faking, like you lose track of time because you're in, we'll call it in a zone. You're, you're in a thought process. You're in a routine. I'm not, I'm not saying it, it's uh, acceptable, but I'm sure that's what's happening with with Gannon. And it's again, it's not just the routine, although it is a lot of the routine. If you watch Gannon, he he does the same thing on the tee box. He he starts at the front. He takes a couple pumps. He takes one step back. Takes a couple pumps. Grabs his his chalk bag. Tosses it up. Watches the powder. Takes a step back. Does does a pump. Tosses the Tosses the bag on the ground, takes another step back, does a pump, picks up the bag, does a pump with his his uh, his thing, drops it again, gets ready, and then finally goes. And unfortunately, walking back from that tee pad takes up a majority of your time. You you he needs to cut even with those long legs. Even just with think the, if he had short legs like me. Oh geez, I can't even imagine. He'd look really funny, yeah. but uh, he'd just be paddling around. <laughs> um, 
he he needs to realize, and I think he will. I truly think he will because now that the Nico incident has happened, I think that players like Gannon are going to have to make a change because they know it's coming. It's coming for them. It's just a matter of when. He's he's going to get warned again, and at some point he's going to get stroked. So I truly believe he will make an effort. He's young. I'll truly believe he make an effort to change his routine to speed things up. But I'm sure it's very difficult to do that in the middle of the season. Unfortunately, it's one of those things that if you're breaking the rule, you got to fix it soon. Because it was, it was as people were saying, I didn't, they didn't want to watch the live broadcast. It was that yeah, slow. I, I, that's, that's what I we, largely saw. And when I saw the uproar, yeah, that's we, what it was saying is I, I couldn't handle it. I had to turn it off. We had five holes where now we had to fill. Normally, the lead, the chase card gets done. We're on like 17 and we can, we can easily fill a hole or two. When you have to fill five to six holes of slow golf, not even fast golf, slow golf, it's brutal. That at points we were saving like <laughs> like uh, like Gollum and his ring as precious shots. We purposefully were holding back. The chase card was on like hole 17 or 18 and we were still showing shots from 15 and 16 because we knew the way things were going. We saw the spread happening. We knew we had to save those shots. So at one point, the commentators were just like, yeah, that's, uh, you know, uh, Chris Clemens, second birdie in a row. And we still haven't watched his first one. And we didn't care. We just kept showing shots because that's what we had to do. So honestly, it's not just a obviously a, a rules violation on the course. That is bad. It's it also cascades into the media, the live media, the product yeah. that the Disc Golf Pro Tour is trying to put out. So we, the Disc Golf Pro Tour, I think, has to also look at this and take a step in and say, hey, we can't have this. We can't have this be our product. Something needs to be done. And if that is truly, as you say, targeting players, maybe that has to happen. Maybe. Uh, yeah, may, I mean, I think may, targeting is just such a funny word that it gets is. used. Like, are we watching it? Yeah, because yes. you're, you're an offender. Like, yeah, Correct. If you were a known offender, uh, you know, a then I believe targeting is when is when you are looking for something that maybe isn't normally there. You know, if if someone if Jeff if you were playing an event, Terry and Jeff Spring said, I want an official to follow Terry and just nail him for anything he does. Foot faults, missed putts, whatever. That's I think that's targeting. This is just, hey, you are a known offender. We are going to send an official with you. We are going to make sure that you obey the rules that are there that you are known to break. And so I don't believe it's targeting. It is. It's a known offense. And I think that's what's that what might have to happen to Gannon for a little while until he can push through it. And I think I truly believe he will. He's too good not to. He's too yeah, good. I, and and again, to. yeah, that's where it's funny because I almost want to uh, I feel like you can take Gannon out of this equation. He happens to be one of the most egregious offenders. You take his name out of the equation and insert literally any other name there. I, I feel obviously just the same about it. Connor it's, was slow. Alden was slow it, at times. I mean, and we've seen, yeah, and, we, we've seen this kind of cascade now into what other players are, uh, other players are suggesting. Germ put a big post out there suggesting like, Oh, sure. you know, 30 seconds for here, but maybe you get two extensions and this and that. And I keep thinking like, cool, that's a great. Sure. Those are all great ideas. But 
if you're not calling someone at 30 seconds, you're not calling them at 45. Yeah. It, this is not. Yeah. A, and, and this is not a rules issue. That, yeah. This is a player issue. And ultimately, I would say it's a 90 percent player issue. and a 10 percent disc golf pro tour slash PDGA issue that someone has to enforce the rules. If the players are not going to enforce the rules, which they should be. Then somebody has to step up, whether it's the TD, whether it's the PDGA, whether it's the DGPT. And we it's not like we can have and like it or not. I know people say, well, if you're not, you know, you're not enforcing the rules evenly when, you know, you have an official following one card. Too bad. We, we, yeah, we see, we I, I see don't, advantages. I don't buy that either. We see advantages and disadvantages of being on lead cards all the time. Terry, go find yeah. my disc. Paige Pierce. Circa 2022. Yeah, like and, that's the advantage yeah. you get when you have a huge crowd following you. You're never losing a disc because there will be somebody within 50 feet of that, 30 feet, 20 feet of that disc. The fifth card doesn't necessarily have that advantage when they throw into the middle of the swag and the guy has to walk all the way back up the hill to rethrow. These are just things that you have to deal with. So there are advantages. And guess what? If you're going to be on a, a featured card. Or you're you are a known offender. You, there's going to be disadvantages to maybe that. I, I think that sure. we need to get through that. I'm all for changing rules if that's what the players want. I was thinking about it myself. I was like, sure, I could see everybody gets into some sticky situations on the course. You throw off the fairway and you're kind of you're 13 or 15 feet inside the the a brush. You need to get in there, get your footing. There's almost no way it's going to take 30 seconds. You're going to go over that. Because you're going to get in there and then you're going to assess the situation and then you're probably going to come out and grab a disc if you didn't go in with some because maybe you didn't for some reason. But you're going to look at two or three different routes and maybe change your mind. I get it. It's going to take 45. It's going to take 50 seconds. Is it a penalty? Should it be called? Probably. But it's going to happen. And I wouldn't care if we change the rules and say, hey, guess what? You have 30 seconds if you're on the fairway. If you're off the fairway... If you're quote unquote obstructed, you get a minute. Something along those lines. And all you have to do is just confirm it with a player, any player on your card, like like the players do with the with the uh the 10 meter rule. Am I out all they do is turn to a player and go, Am I outside? And everyone goes, eh, yeah. Or eh, no. You know, that's sure. how it's that's how it's played at most events because not every place has has a wonderful uh ring or flags. If I just walk into a fairway, I go, I I'm obstructed here. Am I cool? Everyone someone goes, Yeah, that's fine. You get a minute for this shot. I'm okay with that. But Gannon Burr on the 17th and 18th hole, he was in the middle of the fairway, the middle of the fairway. And I think he took two minutes. The, the I mean, and granted these fairways, they've got some random trees in them. I think he took two minutes and that is unacceptable. Sure. Everybody, everybody has leeway right. at certain instances, but so that's, yeah. that's and, where, and- that's where it stands. What's kind of crazy about this is, unfortunately, this has very much been a conversation piece for us, along with the rest years. of the disc golf community, for yeah, for years, but more more recently than ever. Uh, you know, you think back to the Pro Tour Championships, you think back to just a few people, a few instances. It's been more of a conversation than ever before, and and honestly, I think I feel like we're to a point where it's like it's talked about so much something clearly has to be done, whatever that is. 
I don't know exactly what the solution is, but something has to be done because it is it is very much tainting a lot of the experiences for for players, for spectators, uh, media, for media for everybody. <laughs> it, it's tainting the experience so much more. And not that the rule shouldn't have always been followed because it should have been. But now it just feels like and, and it's and it's not just Gannon. And, and I'll be the first to admit it's not me. No, I'll be the first to admit there. I, I could I could easily put together a list of the next ten slowest players. I'm not going to bother because it's not going to get us anywhere right now. But if anybody, if if the PDJ or the DGPT needed my list, I I've got not only footage to back it up, but just overall being out there long enough. We've got both MPO and FPO competitors that often break the thirty seconds and and. You, I, I've said this, and maybe my last piece on it will be: you take twenty nine point nine 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 seconds on every single one of your fifty four shots or sixty two shots in a day. I don't care. I won't say a word. I want that to be very clear. I don't just love and want f- everyone to play fast. I just want you playing within that thirty seconds. And if that means twenty nine and a half on every hole, I'm still good with that. You won't even get a complaint out of me. Mm-hmm. It's the constant. Constant. It's not the once or twice around for the the reason you explained. It's the seven, eight, ten, twelve times per round, every round, every tournament, every weekend. Though that uh, again, if you think you got a target on your back, if you fit that description, then then maybe maybe you uh, maybe you deserve it. So anyway, um, yeah. Hopefully we'll we'll get it fixed. I, I think, like you said, it largely relies though on an enforcement issue more than an actual rule change. What I'll say about the, everyone saying, well, 30 seconds doesn't feel like enough. It's been enough for the last 30 freaking years, like, or whenever the rule first got implemented, it sure seems like it. And it also feels like 98% of our players have no problem with it. So, so 30 seconds does seem like enough. And a lot of people talk about how golf does it. I had a very lengthy talk with Nate, uh, Nate Doss about this months ago, and apparently the way golf handles it is they have a pace, and if you fall behind a certain pace overall for your group, you're not necessarily shot clocked on one specific shot, but in this case, when they were five holes behind, behind once they get, I don't know if it's one and a half or two full holes behind the group in front of them, that's when a an official will go to the group and basically, you know, fire a warning shot and say, Hey, pick it up or the whole group is going to get penalized. That's, that's how I've been explained that it works. I don't particularly, I think disc golf's way too different because we, you know, you and I both know you can play five holes in, in 30 minutes. And then the last three holes on the course might take an hour and 10 minutes Mm -hmm. just by the nature of the hole. So I don't, I don't like the whole group pace mentality. Um, nearly as much, but um, I, th- I think we have yeah, the ability. That, that's what they do in golf with you, Disc. We have the ability to see where backups are. We have the ability to see where groups are falling behind. I wouldn't have an issue if, let's just say, a group fell behind, an official shows up and says, "Hey guys, you guys are on the clock." And what that means is, I'm going to watch each of you. I, I I don't think you can. I don't ever see a a, a world where you. Um, penalize the entire card. But once that official shows up, that's basically your warning. Hey, I'm here. You have 30 seconds for your shots. 
And that's how it works. That official will follow you for X amount of holes, maybe whatever. But and obviously this has again brought up the thing. People saying, well, you know, the DGPT or someone TD needs to get 18 volunteers or paid people to enforce rules. And it's just not realistic. Uh, you would need more than 18 because one per hole just wouldn't quite work. Um, it's as someone else said, then you get like the issue you have with umpires, you know, ex umpire. Eh, he doesn't really watch foot faults quite as much. And this guy, eh, he might start his clock 10, 15, 20 seconds after everybody else. And it's going to become the foot fault rule again, where you have everybody online watching. Oh no, he definitely took over 30 seconds. How come this official didn't catch that? He should have been penalized. Just like footfalls where everyone's frame by framing it. And say, oh yeah, his foot definitely touched the grass. Is the grass considered a, a, a you know a supporting point and blah blah blah? I don't think that's the answer. Uh, every card no. has four uh, officials. We, every gonna... card has four officials on it. They're the players. <laughs> you got it. Uh and just like uh, a few have said out there, uh, there's now officially a time limit on our talk about time limits. So we'll move Call on. It. Uh, my last point there, uh, Primot or whatever, uh, I, I I do not agree with the idea of no cap limits at all. That <laughs> The worst will just get, the slower will just get slower. Mm-hmm. And I do not agree with that whatsoever. So, and, and if, Climo managed to pick up 12 world titles and Elaine's got five and Juliana's got five and everybody else that's claimed all these world titles has somehow uh, managed to do it within 30 seconds. We're, we're playing for bigger money, but everything's just as important. Every stroke matters. And uh, I, I don't think we need to slow things down anymore by having more time. The, all right. The, we're the done. Other thing, no more the time other, on that. The other thing at the mid America open related to Gannon, and I don't want to harp on this too much is once again, we saw uh, during the Idio form breakdown, Gannon Burr had actually stepped over the end of the tee pad with his foot before he threw the disc. You know, it was it was a very it was kind of funny because we didn't clearly pick that one because of that. But he stepped his half of his foot approximately was over the edge of the tee pad as he threw. Technically, probably a foot fault happening in real time. It's very hard to tell. If his foot was planted, he throws and it spins around, which we've seen before, or it landed down. That is a non-issue for me. Um, we can't slow everything down to the microsecond. Calls are going to be missed. They're missed in every sport. That's just something you deal with. Um, it's, it doesn't seem to be a regular thing. That was a one-time incident from what I could tell uh, off the tee, at least. everybody, A lot of guys footfall in the fairway. It just happens. If the card isn't going to call it, I'm not super concerned about it. So we're going to move yeah. on. Uh, it, it, yeah. Um, also... Uh, oh, never mind. I was going to say also this weekend we started uh, seeing some of the uh, the flex starts and other events that were taking place down here in the Peoria area. There was a flex start in Wisconsin uh, that took place at Silver Lake. So just a big shout out to Nick and Juliana who who hosted that and had a good weekend there. But uh, there were a couple other sizable events, I want to say, that were taking place this weekend. Were there not, Johnny? There uh, might have been. That, I... At least eight years. Well, let's talk about the women's global real quick. Um, you know, there was, and I, and I say this all in positivity cause I'm excited that it's happening and it's, it's happening more often. There was, it does feel like there was a little air let out of this one and it, at least locally, 
it only seemed as if it was somehow timing related in that it was being held in August as opposed to being held back in May. And clearly, if we polled a thousand women, it would probably come out like 501 to one date and 499 to another. Um, so there's there's never going to be perfect timing. I could think of a hundred reasons why one time is better than the other, but none of those matter. So uh, the women's global event was going on this weekend. And uh, I'd like to quickly touch on that if I can find the link myself. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be super easy to find. There were... I don't even remember how many. An easy way to find this. Anybody? Anybody? I um, I think the, the PDGA probably, honestly, I think they put it on their front page. So I think I'm being silly and looking at the wrong one. Uh, while I look at that or, or look for that, we also saw the Great Lakes, uh, the CCR, the A tier by the um, yes. CCR took place this last weekend. Scott Conway took down Michael Johansson. Uh, who then finished over a Tim Arham and Noah Meinsma. Yep. And it was very tight, too. The top <laughs> first, second, and third were all separated by a single stroke. And Andrew Mardweed finished in fifth. And on the FPO side, Christine Jennings, uh, with a, a significant margin of victory over uh, Chantal Badinsky, uh, who I believe comes down from Canada to play. Uh, Ashley Bauman and Jessica Oleski finished in uh, third. Uh, a very, I don't want to say very regional, but yeah, it was largely a regional FPO field. Uh, obviously, Christine comes from Ohio, and it was it was held in Michigan. But and um, just overall, I see a lot of Michigan women's names there. Mo- most of them in the in, near the top. So, congratulations to them. Sorry, I was going to back up and then. We also saw we saw the Silver uh, Cup, the which was in City A-tier. Bowl. Oh, I was going to say the Silver Cup was in A tier uh, as well ahead. up here in Manitowoc. Um, Matt Bell comes up from from uh, I'm trying, I'm assuming driving through wherever he's going on the way to Ledgestone to take this one over Andrew Fish by six strokes. Uh, close friend of ours, Scotty Bertard takes third, tied with C.J. King and Kale Laviska. Andrew Brown and Dustin Keegan. A lot of ties for third there. Eighth place, Tall Paul Omen. Ninth place, Michael Gibson and Adrian Chevalier. Moving down to the open women. Jenny Umstead wins this one by a lot over Danae Strathman. So in the third place. Corey Anderson. There's only three. We'll talk. We'll shout out all three of them. Congratulations. Patrick Brown takes down masters. I think he's won this before in masters. Maybe, maybe last year, even not hundred percent sure over Shasta Christ and Sean Butler. So that is uh, your I'm I'm a little... silver cup. Oh, here we go. Finally found it. Uh, I should have known this. All right. So the women's global overall 3,260 women and 127 events. I'm glad I wasn't doing any guessing, but uh, incredible. Seat Hendel out of Canada took it down in the FPO division, averaging 972 uh, on the weekend. Uh, The highest rated woman in the entire women's global uh, 
competition was Jennifer Allen at 957. And so what that really tells me, in addition to that, is there's 10, 20, 25, 10, maybe somewhere between 10 and 25 women that are rated above her that simply took the weekend off. Um, and, and I only say that because I can quickly just search by rating. And a lot of our highest rated women uh, took the weekend off and um, did just that. Um, so congratulations to Sandy Hendel. And I feel like it's in pretty customary uh, fashion that I do go through these MP or I'm correction FP 40, Sarah Cunningham, a world champion. She also averaged 972 golf. So congratulations to her. I'm going to keep on scrolling. Barrett white took down uh, FP 50. She did that in Wisconsin, averaging 931 golf. Congratulations. Sherry Herzog averaged 934 in the FP 55. Pamelflage Renicky Pam took it down in Florida with 919 golf on average. Sandy Gast uh, with 896 took down FP 65. FP 70 was Tori Lepinen. Le- Lepinen? Um, out of Finland, took that down. Congrats to her. FP70, Advanced Women. Hannah Lengel, 944 on her average. Scroll because there's quite a few advanced women. Holy cow. That was a huge division, 360 of them. Charlotte Christensen, FA50, FA40, uh, average 950. I'm this far committed, Johnny. They're all coming in. FA. 50. Now, Chris Craig, Chris Gregg, if I could read. 880 golf. I'm going to keep on reading so they get the shout outs. FA55, Joy McNatt, averaged 889 golf. And I'm going to take a quick break. When I'm talking about averaging, one of the cool things, if, you, if you're unfamiliar with how the women's global event works, is you... Your, you or your event are uh, go to a designated women's global event. And what that means is the course has to be played the same in the exact same configuration for two rounds. You have to play it for two rounds. Does it have to be same configuration? Anyway, uh, everybody has to play the um, play it for two rounds. And then you get, just like you would any other tournament, you get a rating for each round, and then they average those two ratings together to give you your total. So as I'm looking at Joy McNatt in FA55, she shot 885.7 and 894. So her total was 1779.8, which means she averaged 889.9 golf. And so then you... Take that and you put that against every other woman within your division worldwide. And that's how the champion is determined. So I just thought I'd make that quick distinction if you're new here. Uh, Donna Stanley took down FA60. Denise Gentry took down FA65, averaging 846 golf. Um FA70 was taken down by Lynette Ellison. Intermediate women was Paula Landry. I should quit with the codes because I don't keep screwing them up. 
<laughs> Holy cow. And, uh, this that is was like watching Gannon Burr play this golf. <laughs> the, the 456 women I in know, intermediate. I so know. congratulations to her. Emma. Uh, Greg. Uh, Greg. Gregula. Greg. Uh, yeah. Emma. Congratulations to Emma in Tucson. Took down recreational women. And. Let me keep going. Holy cow. Recreational Please. women might have been the largest field at seven, 634 women. Uh, Laura Zukis took down novice women, averaging 838. You know, people think, well, why is he reading all these? Well, I, I'll I give you this. this. Re- uh, there was 533 women. I, I like reading some of these Go because ahead. I got a message from someone when I read their name. Um, for uh, I believe it was Am World saying, "Ah, oh, I finally made Smashbox. Someone read my name. <laughs> I love it. Uh, I, I do. Uh, we just need Victoria. To speed up. Oh, Victoria Rachel Paul. I know I should have had these in one thing. Uh, she took it down. She's already been on disc golf guy coverage for crying out loud. She averaged nine thirty two golf in the junior girls uh, under eighteen. Junior girls fifteen. Kylie Kahoot um, took it down. Congratulations, junior girls twelve. Morgan Redick. Red Reddick, uh, Hannah Zalistra in Junior Girls ten and under, Junior Girls eight and under, Hayden Harper out of Georgia. Congratulations to her and Junior Girls six and under, Elliot Lehman. So, all right, congratulations. Um, now I'm going to go through the top five in each division. <laughs> if, <laughs> no, but seriously, um, thank you everyone for bearing with me, but. It's, Thank you and congratulations. If I skipped a division, I apologize. I think I got them all in there, but um, thank you guys and congrats. Uh, thank you to the organizers, the committee, the PDGA. It's actually a very, very significant monumental task uh, to put that all on Big Dog and the rest of the PDGA staff and crew. I know it's getting easier for them because they now have been doing it for a number of years, but um, nonetheless, it's it's still a, a huge effort. So can. Congratulations is what he was saying. Congratulations. All right. We're going to talk about the mega city, the magic city mega bowl presented by dynamic discs and W uh, and also a WGE event on uh, the MPO Silas Schultz wins this one by a single stroke over uh, Sullivan Tipton in third place was Bo McLaughlin fourth place tied was Lucas Pierce and Joey Lutz in sixth place was Thunder Schultz. Silas got the better of the Schultzes this week over Thunder for sure. Uh, seventh place was Harper Thompson. Eighth place, Ezra Goodwin. Ninth place, Dylan Wooten. Um, and a three-way tie for 10th place. Congratulations in the FPO field. Courtney McCoy uh, winning this one, taking home $1,170. Congratulations, Courtney. Second place was Cadence Burge. You may know her. Um, she declined cash. In third place was Amelia Marshall. Fourth place, Haley Childs. And fifth place, Anna Pinter. Congratulations to everybody who played well at the Magic City Mega Bowl presented by Dynamic Discs down in Birmingham, Alabama. Terry, that's a a different Uh, angle for you. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I know. (laughs) I came back and somehow it defaults to the wrong camera. And so this camera looks not nearly as good. 
<laughs> now it's on par with how yours looks. Yeah, yeah, that's all right. Uh, all right, we need to talk about obviously the big news. We don't want to bury the lead much longer. Um, the PDGA handed down a nine-month suspension for one Nico LaCastro. Uh, nine months as well as a 15-month probationary period after the fact. Nico will be eligible to return to the tour. I believe it's like May 9th or May 3rd, somewhere somewhere right around there. Um, what's today? Today's the 9th, so probably May 9th if it's a... Uh, he does have the right to appeal the decision. Uh, and that is where we stand with the Nico situation. Uh, it was designated as a, we'll say, a Class A offense, which has a, I think, a baseline or a default of about 24 months suspension. It is the, quote unquote, worst or highest offense level, and the disciplinary committee has a, uh, has the right to adjust that time period based on any extenuating circumstances. Of which they have done. Um, some people are saying this is a first defense for Nico, and he shouldn't maybe have not even have gotten nine months. I, I don't know about that. Um, I don't know if he's ever been on probation before in the past. I don't think so, but I don't know for certain. Ultimately, the PDGA came down with their decision, and some people agree with it, like everything. Some people don't. It's- that is kind of what? where we, yeah, that's kind of where we stand with it. it. I mean, yeah, it's like, of course, it's like every other topic, not just within disc golf, but literally back to back sentences. You can read that's BS. He should have never gotten anything. He didn't harm anyone, blah, blah, blah. Here's my 10 reasons. And then the very next sentence is he didn't get nearly enough. It should have been more than 24 months. You know, and and here's all the reasons why for that. It it it's like every other topic, obviously, that uh, could be highly contested. And there's a lot of feelings, and there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of people that frankly just don't even know what they're talking about. I always feel like yeah, at least come to the table with like a base understanding of either the rules and or applications. But and and that goes all over the board, honestly. But. Yeah, it's it's funny to me, and I don't even think it has to be a matter of being like a quote unquote Nico hater or lover who wherever somebody may fall. It's just man, people are fired up about the suspension, and uh, I and I was largely preoccupied today, <laughs> so it wasn't until just before the show that I actually had seen more about it. And I don't know that I have a strong opinion one way or another. It, I'm just going to say everything seems reasonable. Like at face value, the disciplinary committee isn't out there to F around. Like they don't have axes to grind. They're volunteer and yet take it all very serious what they're doing. That's why things don't happen overnight. They, they get together, uh, you know, various accounts. They talk to all parties involved when they're, you know, as much as people or reply to them like there's some due diligence and i know you could speak to these survey back one for a lot for somebody that thinks it's like too god like, you know throwing throwing a, a dart against the board to figure out you know what the, how they're going to move forward it's so far from that now do they get everything right uh, maybe maybe 
Maybe not. I I haven't been involved with any legitimate disciplinary action on my end, but it's it there is a a process. I mean, this clearly now is affecting livelihoods in a greater sense than it ever has before in terms of the sheer money. And so they they know that as well. This is none of this stuff is is taken lightly. And I don't I don't particularly envy anyone that's got to make some decisions. I mean, let's face it, no one wants to be in the awkward position of having the report, of having to DQ someone, of having to take these actions, and then all the follow-up that goes with it. And then no matter what you come down as a ruling out of the committee, which you just then submit to the board, I think, you're you're going to be scrutinized largely for whatever your, your finding was, whether it was too harsh or whether it was too soft. You know, there's not a lot of winning there by anyone. So um, I I think it's worth clarifying, and it was largely lost from day one, is that this this, the time violation is what sparked the interaction, and then it was the interaction that led to the disqualification and then ultimately the suspension. No one's – nobody's kicking Nico off the tour uh, because he, you know – often exceeds the 30-second mark, that would just happen to be the infraction that then set off a different set of um, discussing. And and I like making that clarification because there's a lot of people I've seen that are just like, oh, man, getting kicked off the tour for not adhering to 30 seconds. It's like, no, 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 no. It was so much more than that. So let's let's make sure we're, again, coming to the table with the same basic facts. So... I, it's it's worthless to even ask you or ask me honestly what we think uh, in terms of it because again we're not part of that process. But what I would follow up with though is there there was then a Twitter fueled debate. Is that is that my understanding? Also, as I'm coming to the party late or or, or Instagram, there was some, there was some Instagram drama, okay. Instagram slash Twitter drama. Before, before we get into the the, the, the the fun DG drama of this, um, remember that this was designated as a Class A that had an option for 24 months. I truly believe that the PDGA and Nico probably, and not only that, but apparently Nico did not cooperate with the investigation immediately. I don't know what if he eventually did or not. That I think, uh, yeah, could at have the ha- event he did not correct could could have gone another way. Um, me personally, I was surprised it was a it was that long. I thought it was going to be six months, but it turned into nine. Whatever. Um, I think Nico is serious. Hopefully, about seeking some sort of help for whatever issues he's dealing with. And I bet you that played a part into why it was the link that was. As we said, he has the chance to appeal it as well. So mm-hmm. th- this there is. It, yeah. An appeal also to, to, to drive that point home with real, really no uh, downside to appealing. I mean, other mm-hmm. than you may feel like you're just wasting time or getting your hopes up. But, it, you know, if I correctly, I necessarily the downside to appealing now he may or may not even want to bother he may um but yeah to be fair i think he was for the most part probably going to take a lot of the rest of the season off maybe other than worlds and pro tour finale 
maybe USDGC, maybe he's going to hit the big ones. Um, this truly feels like a four month, a three to four month suspension for what it could be. Um, I'm glad it's not any longer. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm glad. Okay. I don't necessarily. I don't know if it should have been shorter. I don't think so. I had a gut in feeling of six months just because it kind of would have rounded out the rest of the season and then we'd have been done. I have no basis for that other than just a, literally a gut feeling as to what I thought it was going to be. So mm. the fact that it was nine, I, I don't know. He's coming back in May. This isn't, I don't believe this, you know, this stops Nico from playing in sanctioned events. Play the Southern Nationals or something. You know, it's there are other things. Which he can I think do. a lot of those are becoming sanctioned. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah and, and somebody did, did just ask that Chris Carpenter on the board says, can he play USDG since it's not sanctioned? USDGC is a major sanctioned. and it is sanctioned. It just doesn't count against your ratings, it's an X but it is still XM. It is an XM serious XM serious radio, <laughs> the USDGC channel. Um, so it is still sanctioned. It is very much a major championship. So he will. Uh, not be allowed to compete in that. And then I guess to your point, you know, when you say nine months or they say nine months, not you, uh, like you're saying, it's you, you figure there's a couple months that are likely very slow near within that time frame anyway, you, you know, and whether Nico's stationed in, you know, a Missouri or an Arkansas or a St. you know, wherever uh, during an off season, um, you know, largely you're taking off for the most part, your your November through mid to late February for the most part, our, our top, top athletes usually are uh, even late October until February. Mm-hmm. So one would say, well, that doesn't feel as punishing, but yeah, clearly missing out of the worlds in a few weeks, missing out on the USDGC, two of our remaining majors and the disc golf pro tour championships. Those are all very significant. Those would be the most significant things that he's going to be missing out on. And, and my only, my only take on all of that would be if somebody said six months, I'd been like, okay, somebody Mm -hmm. said nine. Sure. If somebody said 12, I'd be like, I get it. Um, I don't know enough about the policies to think like, yeah, 24 sounds about right. Mm -hmm. But and, uh, if it did, just a little I've read of the policy, I don't think that would have been necessarily crazy per the policy. So when I hear nine months, I'm like, okay. I mean, like that, call it, like you said, call it your gut intuition. I'm just like, that seems to me personally, not that anyone's asked, but that seems reasonable yeah. to me. It certainly does not seem like too long and it doesn't seem like too short. Seems about right to me. And I want everyone and I to realize 12 months would have felt the same. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. Um, I want everyone to realize you don't know all the details. Period. Oh, I don't No. Well, maybe you do. I don't know. <laughs> but most people out there don't know all the details. <laughs> ah, um, correct. In, in general, not only with the disciplinary committee, which is a and I'm going to say this and people are going to get all pissy about it. A secret group. You don't know who's on the disciplinary committee. You know who the head of the disciplinary committee is. But the actual staff is not known to anybody. And that's for a reason. Because nobody wants to know if, and I'm not on it, but if I were on it, and I, I don't want people harassing me over this. There's no reason for that. I'm doing yeah. a job for the PDGA. So the members are Correct. behind closed walls, as I think it should be. Um, you don't know how the uh, investigation went. You don't know if, maybe Nico just stonewalled them. 
Maybe he didn't. Maybe he fully cooperated. I have no idea. You have no idea. So to say that nine months is is wrong, you are going on 30 seconds of footage to base that uh, yeah. answer on. So just take that for what it's worth. We can get on to the more fun uh, internet baby mama drama, 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 llama, llama, drama, drama, if we want now. Yeah, so with with the ruling that was handed down, just as he seemed suspiciously, maybe suspicious isn't the right word, um, seemingly very uh, active in the conversation was Paul Macbeth of Bradley Williams a few years ago. Uh, and Paul had made posts today with regard to Nico's, give me the uh, the abridged version of how this has gone down. The abridged version was that Paul more or less came out and stated he felt that it it was a first offense, that he didn't feel like he felt it was too much for what um what happened. He he kind of put some of the blame on the official as well for mm-hmm. quote unquote staring back at Nico and not um not trying to diffuse the situation maybe yeah he, he he's not he's not a trained police officer but go on uh, agreed I, I i disagree with paul on that particular take on that side of his take he yeah he also, i he disagreed also, with everyone just to be clear i disagreed with everyone that said they're there to, to diffuse they're not there no. with their psychology degrees and their 10 years of law enforcement they're out there to enforce some rules for throwing a frisbee around. Mm-hmm. So to to say he's there to defuse a situation, I think is is just a bit my, um my, uh, is a bit much. My favorite take on this uh, on the official is people that that say, "Oh, you know, he was staring at Nico." I don't know if he was staring at Nico. He just got into a confrontation with somebody who was clearly hot headed. And he was maybe he was watching him because he didn't understand what was coming next. A, a, a person who just approached him. Bingo. So w- w- would I be watching somebody that just did that for the next couple of seconds to make sure that nothing was escalated? Probably. Did Nico take it as some sort of aggressive staring thing? Maybe that that's mixed signals. That could be anything. Again, that's and I think that was part of Paul's take is that he kind of maybe felt that. The official should not have been staring. I don't know. But then he also said, I'm obviously going to get a lot of messages on my take, but here's the reasons. Um, The official makes the call on the 30 seconds. Nico asks why on three occasions and gets an answer on all three. I don't understand that point. Nico says, step away from me. The official takes a half step back. Nico walks back to his bag and the official stares him down the whole time. I just addressed that Nico conf- uh, Nico confront the official for staring him down, not for the call. And the fact that he's suspended for a class a intimidation feels off to me. Um, and then Paul goes on to, to clarify. I believe that uh, he felt it maybe should have been more of a class C violation instead of a class a, that is a discussion point. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to have. If you want to discuss which mm-hmm. class violation it is, they come with different weights. I personally don't really agree with Paul on some of the points. Some of them, he, he might have a point. He maybe knows more than I do about the situation being as, you know, him and Nico were, you know, they're friendly. They, they, they came mm-hmm. up in the, the sport together, but that's not the fun stuff, Terry. 
the fun stuff. It, well, I'm, go ahead, go ahead. No, why, why don't you? I'll let no, you. Address I, I was this. just going to quickly say I, I can. No, no, no. I was going to quickly say I can appreciate that Paul's got to take. Uh, you know, Paul was very uh, active within the the. I'll say the Bradley conversation years ago, and and I know that Paul is overall looking out for the players in the sense that this is our this is their livelihood, and and there's a there's a just a very careful line that's got to get drawn as to when one person or one committee of people can ultimately alter the direction or the trajectory of someone's career path and earnings i get all of that mm-hmm. and i and i can appreciate paul for thinking that way and thinking on behalf of the player in that sense and i can also turn around and say there are rules and there are consequences and and you may not love all the rules, and you may not love all the consequences, regardless of whom they're coming down on. So, um, it, you know, I, I can understand him taking a stance and a position. I don't have to agree with it. You don't have to agree with it. And I'm sure some players and some fans will and won't, and that's fine too. I just know that Nico missed a putt at the Kansas City wide open and then yelled at me for staring at him while I was working a camera. So I, I don't know what he thinks people are supposed to be doing out there, uh, what fans and spectators and officials and media people are supposed to be doing. But part of the job is to watch them and to record actions and to do those types of things. I think I, I, I don't know if, if somebody was like you said, if somebody was that aggressive with me and had those issues and then I watched them for the next few moments to make sure something else didn't get out of hand. Mm-hmm. If somebody wants to take that as aggressive as staring, but uh, yeah, I, I don't, I'm, I don't even want to go glad. into it anymore because I'm going to say things that are I'm going to yeah. are going to get people even more fired up. But I'm glad, like you said, I'm yeah. glad Paul takes a stand and takes a take on this. I, I think he, I don't know if he sees himself as this or if other people see him as this, but I think a lot of fans do see him as the face of the players. He's not only the face of the sport. A lot of times, but he's probably also the face of the players. He he has stepped up in instances like we said, the Bradley Williams and his voice carries more weight than other people. If sure, if if Chris Clemens made a statement about it, it does not hold as much weight as Paul McBath's like it or not. It's just Paul has a very um uh, his his takes are taken more heavily than others. It's just the way it works because he has the spotlight so big because he has the big contract and everything. I'm glad he's whether I agree with it or not doesn't matter. I'm glad he's doing it because I think that, you know, if he's right, he's right. If he's wrong, he's wrong. At least he's doing something. He's not just standing by on the sidelines. Terry, this is why this is why sit down. Players need a union. A player's union. Yes. <laughs> player union. Player union. Player union. Can we please bring that up? And can we please beat that to death of how effing many times people want Ten to years. Uh, think that's the magic solution. Ten, longer? More than that. Longer? 15? Tw- it's been more than that. Probably closer to 15 years we've been hearing I, players union. I think it's 15. I, th- I, think, I think Dave Felberg was collecting some initial dues for that at the 2007 IDGC grand opening in Mm. the parking lot. And that just celebrated a 15 year anniversary in April of, of this year. 
So at least a full 15 years that this has been beat to death and nobody has stepped up since Dave's last attempt to go ahead and follow through. So by God, if you hate everything, you're pro 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 player, blah, 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 that you think negotiations, contracts, litigations, you name it, start that PDGA or the disc golf pro player union. Please, please, and tag me when you do, because we'll have you on the show. We'll instantly, and I'm not I even being... I will support being, your... We, will, we yep. will have you on the show immediately when you've got it up off the ground and running. But until then, everyone shut the F up about it, because you're just <laughs> not starting it. You can call for it, but nobody's starting it. So... All right. So, so, so after conversation, Paul, he after, had, yep, after Paul this makes take. this yep. hot take, so to speak, as some people are saying, um, Brody took to Twitter and disagreed with Paul's take. Said, "Yo, Paul, I, I just, you know, I can't believe you took this position. I disagree." Brody had a, a some words about the decision a little bit, just very neutral. I would say about you know, not for, not against it, very much riding the line. But he did come out and say, Paul, I disagree with your take on it. Okay. And at that point, somebody says one or two things about it. And Paul comes back and more or less says, um, I think somebody asked why he didn't tag Paul. And Paul more or less said, yeah, Brody blocked me a while ago Mm. on Twitter. Which then (laughs) proceeded for someone to say uh oh well this is why i think oh my god this is so funny i think this is why i think brody's gonna be at innova next year to which paul responded said no 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 i really hope he stays at discraft um because i like it that he has to throw discs with my name on it (laughs) wow it it got it got some it got spicy a little bit it did get a little spicy i'm not gonna lie i like spicy paul I do. It's it's phenomenal. And, you know, and then Brody just confirmed, yes, I blocked Paul a while ago. And and obviously there's always the questions of what happened at Foundation. None of us know. It's history at this point. But two of the biggest voices, as we just said, Paul, Brody also carries that voice because of his following. Getting into a little spat back and forth, a little bit of a, a, you know, spicy hot take back and forth Mm -hmm. is always fun for people to to watch and read um i, I don't it, it, there's really nothing other than as i said stupid disc golf internet drama because it really amounts to nothing it's just humorous a lot of people enjoy it so yeah well uh just real quick and i know n- nothing of the better because of my afternoon and so I'm truly pleading the fifth year that um, apparently you butch you butchered that is what someone had said. And I don't know if I, they know the story better than you, but maybe I, I, it might be worth us. If, if there's a, a distinct clarification that's worth knowing that we we should let, let's try to get it right. But uh, maybe you were spot on and somebody else has butchered it. I don't know. But for what it's worth and, and I'm I'm sure whatever it is, it's probably not too far off of how you described it. But um Somebody said that you you have the take completely wrong. I, I don't know. I, Either way. Um, the, the long and short of it, though, is there's definitely a little 
a little jabbing back and forth between the two of them and it's and it's stemming from uh the conversation and the you know the the punishment so to speak handed down by Nico so I, I um, Brody said it was a bad take from Paul. Paul clapped back at it. I mean, yeah. Okay. So. Either way. Um, well, we'll see how this weekend goes. Of course, we're here at Ledgestone. Um, a little bit of, um, well, not a little bit, a, a lot. I mean, this event, I think 20, 2,200 total people. Uh, obviously, there's uh, an amateur side that accompanies the pro side. Going to look for starts taking place literally every single day. Um, they started. There was a couple this weekend. Uh, I think three of them on Monday at various courses. There were multiple ones today. Uh, there's a couple more tomorrow. I think a lot of them are sold out. I was I was going to maybe even see if I could sneak into a few more the rest of the week, but uh, most of them have sold out or they're at a course I don't I won't go out of my way for probably. Um, 148 in the MPO division and 52 women in the FPO division uh, that will be taking place this weekend. Johnny, without giving away too many spoilers, if they're even that, can you kind of loosely describe how the coverage is going to sort of look this weekend because it's going to be a little abnormal and it is, this is a precursor. I'm sure there's going to be like a disc golf network news blast and some social media posts that get out there, but without spoiling and or butchering anything, give everybody kind of a a general idea of what we'll see this weekend. Uh, I don't know if there's anything spoilery about it, but well, I mean, Northwood black. I, I don't know if people know, as we know, Northwood black has some struggle, issues with cell signal we will not be covering the front nine of northwood black for any round so any round where northwood black is the course we will be coming in late we'll be covering back nine holes live there will still be post-production if you if you care a lot about the 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 first nine holes um we will probably be filling in with highlights from the from the lead card on those as we come in and so, for instance, Thursday, I believe the schedule is that the men tee off at Northwood Black at normally at like three th- or no. Do they tee off in the they tee off Thursday? They tee off in the morning at Northwood Black. We will not be coming to Northwood Black until 1130s, which means it's the women. The women are playing Northwood Black on Thursday. We will not start our coverage on Thursday until 11 until they get through the front nine. The next day on Friday, the men play Northwood Black in the afternoon, which means we will not come to them until 5 o'clock Central Time. Normally, we start at 3.30. We'll coming in an hour and a half later, let them get through the front nine. Let's catch them just as they're at the backup on 12, and we can sit and watch <laughs> every other card play. No, uh, that's that's basically it. If Northwood Black is being covered, we will not cover the front nine. So it, the coverage times might vary a little bit from the normal 9.30, 3.30, or right around there. Sometimes they push it up or back 15 minutes. Yeah. It's just going to it's gonna be pushed back. That is the plan for uh, Northwood Black. As of the meeting that we had yesterday. Okay. Um, so just really more than anything, that's just 
to give you guys a little bit of uh, insider background to how things will go. Uh, unfortunately, this is nothing new. When you're talking about a course that has that much challenge, not only from a playing perspective, but then also from an overall timing and from a cellular challenge perspective, there's just these little tweaks that need to be accounted for. And so that's kind of the game plan. And so stay tuned. I'm sure that'll be all written out in a in an email blast format and probably put on social media. But wanted to give you guys a little insight as to what you're going to see in here. So. All right. Um, yes, we're going to see Johnny McRae uh, back in action as well. Of I picked course, him up on my skip ace. Ago. I did. I, I yeah, dropped. He was here just sorry, a few I dropped weeks AJ ago, Carey. Win in the world. I dropped AJ you know? Carey, picked up some Johnny McRae, put him in my lineup. I think the dude's going to be playing well. If you're playing skip ace, go and get him now. Okay. I mean, you could give away all the secrets, I guess. Hey, if you're listening, that's what you get. Man. It's special Johnny V insight. Wow. Priceless. All right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Matt says, Terry, can you ask all the pros tomorrow during the Baltimore team, Brody? Uh, just as a quick clarification for everyone, fair or not, whether you care or not, um, it is worth clarifying because it probably will get asked. I am for lack of a better phrase, I am not contracted and working with the Pro Tour this weekend. I am contracted and working specifically with the Ledgestone event and with Nate Heinold. And I think I maybe touched on this last week, but I have a a long history of being around for this event. Johnny and I attempted to cover this live at Northwood 10 years ago uh, where we struggled. We we did cover it live. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it it was a struggle. And so I have a very long history of, of having some assistance with this event. And this year, it was made way back in January. We just said, hey, let's, let's make – last year, I, I was only here for two days, and then I had to leave anyway and go to my half-sister's wedding for the weekend. And so I was only here half the time anyway. Well, this year, we made the decision way back in January while doing the schedule that I would be – essentially off from the pro tour. And instead I was going to be working with Nate Heinold for this weekend. It's, it's not normal. Um, It's a little out of the ordinary, but there's some history there. And so I'll be doing things with Nate along with uh, Hannah, along with T box media and the Ledgestone as an overarching event. So if you're curious or not, (laughs) or you're rejoicing or not um, you, you will likely not see or hear much from me from a disc golf pro tour disc golf network perspective you'll see me out there i'll be doing things but it will probably be either on some other social media or platform or on the ledgestone page or wherever and then likely you'll you'll see me doing some of these nightly recaps which are entirely on my own but it's worth clarifying right now because i think there's a lot of people that that might be like wait i see terry but he's not doing the work did he get fired the short answer is not yet so um, I, I will be, I will be here and I will be doing things. So worth clarifying. Um, Tommy Hawk did say, why were you guys not at the creators cup? We, we received no invites. Um, I, I, was it the foundation guys that put it on officially? They were scared or whoever orchestrated it, whoever, whoever orchestrated it did not 
include us. And I, I take that obviously as nothing but a, uh, a compliment that, like Johnny said, just simply scared. Um, all right, Johnny, we still have the peer, the fierce documentary to talk about that I'd like to talk about. I don't know if you want to let, if we want to wrap up the regular show, take a quick break here sure. and then we can come back and maybe, uh, we I'll, can I'll, maybe I'll watch about, it in a quick break. Um, well, you can watch the trailer. You're not watching the hour and 45 <laughs> minute documentary, but <laughs> no, I know I'll, I'll, I'll that'll be our after take. show. Let's just watch that. <laughs> I'll, I'll trust you. I'll trust your take. My goal. I haven't had a chance to. To actually watch it yet, but we can talk about it in the after show with your hot take, Terry Miller. Okay, so uh, we're going to close out the regular show here. Uh, I'm also going to see if I can do a little reset, maybe get my camera to work correctly and refill my beverage. And uh, we'll come back. We can the fierce documentary will headline the after show and then we'll get into all the other normal after show silliness. So. I think that's it. We're going to call it. This has been podcast. Lots of random gossiping and gamble and uh, rambling here. So squirrely. Oh, my. Um, We're going to call it. This has been Smashbox TV's podcast 415, the regular show. We're here at Ledgestone. We're going to have a great week. Looking forward to it. Uh, We're going to talk the Fierce documentary. We're going to have a giveaway and all the other fun stuff, even more juiciness to come to you guys in the after show. Stick around. Don't go anywhere. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. We'll see you then. You step inside the Smashbox. Thank you to our $2 and above patrons. Your name is listed below in the credits. If you are interested in being listed as a producer in the Smashbox TV credits and supporting this and other fine podcasts, please visit patreon.com slash Smashbox TV. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Want truly hydrated skin? Medocia's Body Care Breakthrough Hyaluronic Body Serum. It's clinically proven to increase hydration by 161%. It's lightweight, fast-absorbing, and delivers 24 hours of hydration for silky smooth skin without any sticky afterfeel. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code SUMMER.